The Coonhound Collective Podcast is brought to you by CZ Welding and Custom Dog Boxes. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurgrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coonhound Collective Thank you for joining us today on the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Today, Elijah Alexander sent me this uh, gentleman's contact information, and we are talking with Mr. James Crozier, who has Blackjack Blue Tick Kennels. Mr. James, how's it going today? Hey guys, this is Jason at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. I jumped in here real quick to tell you about a raffle that we have going on. We have joined up with our partner, CZ Welding and Custom Dog Boxes, to raffle off a 24 by 20 by 38 single door top storage dog box. Nathan built a really great quality product. You can go over to the Coonhound Collective Facebook page and see pictures of this dog box. There's also ways that you can pay to get in on this raffle. There's 53 spots at $25 a spot. Now, some of those spots have already been taken up, so don't waste time. Get over there and get your spot reserved. Now, all this money that we're raising for this dog box is going to Superior Kennel Club. That's who the monies are going through. It's Superior Kennel Club, and it's going for their Youth World hunt they're having in December in Alabama. This money is going to allow Superior Kennel Club to pay more spots first and second place. So go over right now, get you a spot reserved, help promote the future of our sport, the youth. Go over and get your spot today. Thank you. It's going real well. Going real well. Good, good. Uh, nice, nice talking to you and, and meeting you and everything. Yeah. Looking forward to following this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I like to talk blue dogs. I've I've only ever owned one. It was a Smoky River bred dog, and there were things I liked about him, things I didn't, just like every other dog I've had. So, um, oh, yeah. I'm I'm excited to to hear about it, and I, I know there's going to be some listeners that are going to be excited to to hear about it too. So, won't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, that type of thing? All right, uh, my family is from West Virginia. Union, West Virginia, and uh, my particular branch of it migrated to North Carolina probably in the early 70s. Uh, my father was in the military and he was killed, and my mother moved to North Carolina because that's where her father was. And she had six kids, so we needed grandpa's help to kind of keep everybody straight. Yeah, well, I understand that. Sometimes, sometimes you need that, and uh, sorry to hear that. Hear about that about your about your dad. So, um, but good good thing you had a a, a mentor uh, there to, yeah. to kind of oversee you yeah. and, and help you along the way. That's right, and he he worked out perfectly and uh, meant a lot to me. I was the oldest, so he gave me a lot of guidance that I needed. And uh, he was also, even though he was a minister, a uh, Methodist preacher, he also was would be considered a sporting man. He liked to hunt and he liked to fish, but there won't none of this catch and release stuff that you see today. 
you know, he was from the, the old school where you caught it, took it home and eat it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, me and my son joke and he's got some buddies he fishes with. And I said, well, how many did y'all get? And he said, well, I don't know. They were throwing them back. I said, what do you mean they were throwing them back? Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, won't, won't you tell us how you got, got into, I guess maybe coon hunting to start with or tree dogs, how, how you got involved with hounds? Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, Danny Gray was his name from Snow Hill. And, uh, he somehow we had been, we had hunted together for several years after he, after we became related and we were about the same age and, uh, which was like 18 at the time. And, uh, he came home one day with a blue female grade dog that about the only talent she had was she'd put her front feet on the tailgate and hold her tail up where you could pick her up by the tail and she'd run the dog box. That was about the best thing she could do. And, uh, there was an old dog trader in Snow Hill at that time named Mr. Dave Corbett. And he had picked her up for Mr. Dave for $25. Well, that doesn't sound like much now, but, uh, back in the 73 and we were 18 years old and just out of school, you know, that, that was a lot for us to have to deal with. And, and then for the dog, not to be no count, but, uh, we became good friends with Mr. Corbett and he started looking out for us and he took the old blue dog back in on a trade and, uh, gave us a couple of young registered dogs that one of them, uh, influenced me quite a bit. Uh, my brother-in-law never did get to the point where he, he really wanted to hunt blue dogs. He was satisfied going with me and mine, but he had red bones for a while and then he got some plots, but he always managed to have a dog to retreat coon. So we, we were both competitive and at the same time, uh, we're able to hunt together. Uh, but those early years were tough, even with a good breaded dog. Like I, I know now just how well bred my dog was, but she was young and, uh, we hunted the first year. And I tell this story, I've heard other people tell similar stories. Craig Edwards told one not too long ago. He's from North Carolina. Uh, we hunted the first year, six nights a week and never saw a coon, never saw a tree actually. You know, we would get in there and we'd turn the dogs loose and they would jump and they would run. And, uh, two hours later, we'd catch them up the other end of the woods and we didn't have enough intelligence at that time to realize they were running foxes. So there was no wonder we never got to see any trees, but we had some pretty good fox dogs, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> We took that round of dogs back to Mr. Dave and, and upgraded again. And this is when it started getting a little more serious. He had a male dog that was a puppy from what became my mentor, Mr. Uh, Buddy Ginn in Snow Hill. Buddy bought a female from Albert Vaughn, no, from Johnny Watson. And Johnny and Albert Vaughn were real good friends. And he took one of Elbert's females and bred it to Vaughn's Blue Mac. And when he bred that, 
the first time uh, he bred it to a Diamond Jim dog. Not, a, not Diamond Jim himself, but a direct son. And uh, he had like eight or nine puppies. And my first real good dog came out of that particular litter. And, uh, but I, I like to tell the story of that was blue tick royalty back in the seventies, a, a female directly out of blue Mac bred to a son of diamond Jim came, that came right straight from Warren Hassler and smoky river. You would have just thought you would have had some picture perfect blue dogs, but that was not the case. We had three or four that looked like Mac and one or two all blue ones, one or two black and white ones, one or two liver colored ones. And I'm not sure what the oddball is. You could call it an oddball, but there was one that didn't look like none of them. And uh, uh, but again, not only had the female and he was raising the puppies, but he was a blue tick scholar and he would sit me down in his kitchen and we would pull out the seven generation pedigrees he had he was about 15 years older than i was and he had been in it for about 15 or 20 years and he had studied those blue tick papers and the seven generation papers that back in the 70s went back to the 50s and he showed me how to match the numbers and tell which dogs were litter mates. And he would try to explain to me why he thought some of the crosses were so outstanding. And he was, he was definitely a Vaughn, a Vaughn man. You know, back then, uh, Dave Dean and, and hammer dogs were just getting started good, but people were, were liking a lot of his stuff. And, uh, of course you had Albert Vaughn, but, uh, Julius Sebastian, you know, some of the older guys were had their own following. And uh, so I naturally kind of migrated to being a Vaughn guy, too. And especially once my dogs started doing so well, uh, those dogs made really outstanding tree dogs. And most of them were cold nose that uh, you hardly ever saw. I never heard of a dog in the 70s that ran with his head up. But a lot of those off the Diamond Jim Cross could. And uh, they could smoke a trap, boy. The, uh, now, was y'all just pleasure hunting these dogs, or were you, were you already involved in competition at that time? No, I was, I, I was learning how to hunt and learning how to train a dog, and Buddy was strictly a pleasure hunter. Uh, okay. Matter of fact, he, by the time I got to know him, he didn't even hunt at night anymore. There was a big old pine woods precaution that was not too far from the house that, uh, it was just huge and nothing in it, but pine trees. And he would get up just before day daybreak and turn dog loose in that pine wood precaution. And we would spend a couple of hours uh, work, letting the dogs work in there till one of them treed. And then we would go in there, and I have not seen this done much since then. But this guy was just amazing. He, uh, when Misty would tree, that was the Vaughn Mac female, when she would tree, 
he we'd get in there to her. He'd say, "Now tie tie all the dogs back about fifteen yards," and uh, he would take his axe and reach up about as high as he could and slam that tree with his axe, the, the blunt side of it, four or five times, just rattle the tree. And he'd say, now take that handful of uh, uh, reeds there and shake those reeds and rub them up against the tree. And he got back and started blowing the squalor. And every single time we made a tree like that, at least one coon would come out. I mean, just come sailing out. We would give that coon a 15 or 20 second head start. It was so thick that they didn't need much. And we turned the young dogs out first, see what they could do with it. If they did, that was fine. If they didn't, then we turned the older dog out and she'd straighten it out for them and they'd go off. And sometimes we'd run that coon two hours before we would tree it again. And uh, that's how he hunted every Saturday morning, walked me to death. And uh, but I learned so much from him because and I didn't even realize it at the time, but he was he was a Christian man and he was teaching me not only how to coon hunt, but how to be a man and a father and all these kind of things that a good mentor would teach you. And uh, we just lost him about two weeks ago. He was 82. And he treated his last coon this past January. So he he was in it to the very end, which I just every time I think about it, I smile. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's that's how uh, I think every every coon hunter wants to go out is in, in good health, still being able to go go to the tree. But what a sounds like what a what a man what a legacy he's left behind to. Uh, you know, just just from what you're telling me about him, unfortunately, I didn't get to get to meet him or get to know him, but that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, he 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 was the uh, captain of the local prison, and so he was very regimented and very disciplined, and all of that. But uh, he cared genuinely for young people, and like I said, he went out of his way to encourage me and to help me uh do the best job i could do with the dogs that i had and it didn't take me too long to figure out i needed to kind of match my dogs with his <laughs> bloodline wise and and i did that the uh, second time that we bred that vaughn's mac female her name was misty we carried her to Bowie's creek and bred her to harry ennis's snow and Snow, even though he died very young, he really left his mark in the blue tick world. Uh, he was the father of such dogs as the original Solid Rock Dog and the Hornblower Dog. And, you know, there's probably eight or ten that were born about that same time that were just fantastic coon dogs. And we bred her to Snow and had eight puppies, and they were all colored exactly like they should be so that let us know that the color that we were getting before wasn't all misty's fault you know there were some other things going on there but we got seven or eight puppies and i ended up keeping a female that we called penny and she was pretty much the spitting image of her mother and uh 
a little bit smaller dog, but uh, good mouth, good nose, quick locator. Uh, didn't back back in those days, it was not uncommon for most people to have to have a dog three years before it would ever treat a coon. They would say, "Well, the first year you get it and let it grow up. Second year you get it started, and third year you make a coon dog out of it if it's going to." Um, uh, Penny wasn't like that. Penny, by the time she was seven, eight months old, was a tree dog. And that was just unheard of in those days. Matter of fact, having a tree dog was almost unheard of in those days. You know, some, some of the guys had something that would tree and stay there, but most of the dogs in those days were track dogs that occasionally would tree. So we were hunting just a whole different kind of dog than most people had. And uh, this same period, uh, Buddy introduced me to one of Elbert Vaughn's relatives. Uh, he stayed in North Carolina up in the mountains. His name was Sherman Butler. And he's in some of the early blue books. Sherman was a blue tick breeder much the same as Elbert Vaughn. Uh, he just didn't... He never acquired the notoriety that Elbert did. He didn't have as many dogs, but he produced a lot of dogs up there. And he's the one that actually made the cross that produced the original solid rock dog. So uh, he was always on the lookout for a nice male dog to breed. He, he was the type that would keep eight or ten well-bred females and then drive all over the countryside when they came in heat to breed them to something that was uh exceptional and uh one of the last crosses he made before he died he took uh a female matter of fact it was a female off of the misty and snow cross and uh, he took her and bred her to charlie bray's clipper who was out of Toshuta Zarki. and uh that produced some firecrackers, a little bit grouchy around the tree, uh, but they were firecrackers. I mean, they would hit a track and just take off scalding it. You would think they were running a deer, but didn't have too much trash problem with those dogs. They were, like I said, every dog's got some kind of an issue. They were just a little grouchy. And uh, from what I had been told, the stories I've been told, I didn't hear this myself. But I didn't see it myself, but uh, Clipper had been in several dog fights. He made night champion, but then I think they kind of encouraged him to quit competition hunting him. So uh, that's how those things go sometimes. You know that. Nowadays, they just ban you. But back in those days, you know, they kind of worked with you a little bit, I think. Uh, anyway, the, uh, last time that we bred Misty, we bred her three times. The third time that we bred her, uh, was to one of Sherman Butler's dogs. That was a son of Hills rock. So once again, you're dipping into that old bloodline that not too many people had hold of, but he was a big dog. He weighed about 110 pounds. And the reason buddy wanted to breed to him was his mouth was so exceptional. As, as well as the fact he was a tree dog. He was a little bit, well, he was a whole lot slow. But uh, he would tree a coon. He was accurate about 90% of the time. 
and uh, he just had a mouth that you could just hear over most dogs all the time, whether he was trailing or treeing. And uh, I ended up with a male puppy out of that cross that was a little bit too tree-minded when he was young. He started treeing with with the other dogs when he was about nine or ten months old. He could just blow the top out of the tree like his daddy. But he it took him about two and a half years to learn how to check his tree and probably would have happened sooner if I'd have let him if I'd have hunted him by himself. But uh we always had five or six dogs we felt like needed to go, so we would throw them out there and and let them roll. And uh I spent thirty years hunting pretty much with the same two guys, either my brother-in-law, the first part of that, or uh, a gentleman from Farmville, North Carolina, which is not far from where I stay now. And uh, he was a walker man. And, uh, but we hunted together every night. One night he would drive, the next night I would drive. And uh, he hunted the River Bend flag dogs. So, uh, most nights we could go out there and get something stirred up. And this was back in the time when coon, coon prices were pretty high. We could go out, get in the woods by 8 o'clock, hunt till 11, tree four coons, next day sell them $400. And uh, being young, and in my case, I had a young family at the, by that time, you know, that $100 a night was pretty good money for us. So it gave you a little bit of extra incentive, but the one thing that I had always promised myself, I was a, a biologist at East Carolina University, retired about 10 years ago, is I would never let the coon hunting get, get me to the point where I would stay out of work the next day. And uh, I never did. I'd get up no matter how bad I felt and go to work, but it was just it would be easy to do, I could see, especially if people had to work swing shifts or something like that. It would be kind of tough to stay out till 3 or 4 in the morning and then get up and have to go to work. But uh, the uh, the guy that I was hunting with, as I said, was a walker man. And when we first started hunting Penny, <clears throat> I, I I really wasn't paying her that much attention. She was a young dog. She was kind of flighty. She looked good for a while. Then you, she'd quieten up. And <clears throat> I started paying attention to my hunting partner, Anthony. And uh, I said, Anthony, what are those dogs doing? He said, I don't know what the other dog's doing, but Penny's been treed 10 minutes. He said, I've been waiting on her. I said, is that what we've been doing all this time? He said, yeah. He said, I ain't never going in the woods until she trees. So that was kind of made you feel good that you, you knew something was happening that other, other people were noticing. And uh, I've managed to carry a lot of that bloodline all through the years, even to what we've got now. We've got, uh, I've got an all-blue female out there now that's eight or nine years old that is all blue, just like those original ones were off the Diamond Jim Cross. And uh, <clears throat> she's uh, 
about half crazy, but mostly in a good way. <laughs> well, um, but before we move on, I want to talk to you a little bit about breeding. You was talking about the gentleman sitting down with you, going through pedigrees and stuff like that. What was he teaching you like as far as breeding? Was y'all looking for dogs back in that pedigree to cross back into that female uh, to no. carry a line on? Or was y'all looking for different traits to bring in? Different traits to bring in mostly because a lot of those dogs were probably dead. But he was he was trying to, sh to show the continuity that Albert Vaughn had over the years he had developed. And if you've read any of the stories about Albert Vaughn, one of his quotes that I remember so well is, the best cross he'd ever seen was a granddaddy cross, where you took a dog and bred her to her granddaddy. And if they were both exceptional dogs, the puppies would be better than either one of them. And we keyed on that quite a bit. And uh, another thing that uh, we that I picked up from all of that was Albert would uh, he would tell us he would say, "Look, you ain't remember back in the early '70s, not everybody had tree dogs, so we were always." concerned about making sure we were breeding tree dogs he he would say no 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 that's that's not right these dogs are going to tree you don't have to worry about that he said i always look for the dog that can cold trail and move a track the right way that was more important to him than a dog that would tree and so these little pieces of information that you kind of pick up along the way uh, they kind of, I, I call it like building a pyramid. You start off laying your foundation and then you get the next row of bricks and you, you keep going up as you learn. And, uh, we were still tied up with, uh, Mr. Corbett at that time. And <clears throat> Dave had a little bit of money and, uh, I guess he was probably 70 years old by the time I met him, but he, he could still get around in the daytime. And, and he, uh, he liked, he liked, he liked the blue dogs. He, uh, ordered a, a young male dog from Hoy Biscamp out of Texas. His name was Jocko and he brought it there and Jocko was a double O grant bred dog. And, uh, he was four years old, all blue. And when he hit the tree, he would throw his head back and have a long dying quivering ball. Well, we, we never had a dog that would do that. And he was super accurate, super cold nosed. And, uh, we bought that dog from him, which gave us a link to Hoy Biscamp. And Hoy had some outstanding dogs. He had been hunting the larger dogs, his Smokey dog, which was Double O Grant. And he he just was he he liked the dogs he was producing. Everybody else did too, but they were big dogs, and they uh, didn't sell that well. Hoy Hoy would he say, you know, he said I'd raise a litter of puppies have eight or 10 puppies out there might sell one or two end up having to give the rest of them away. And, uh, 
at that time he i don't know why he switched other than the fact that he just needed to do something felt like he needed to do something different but uh that's when he got the rowdy dogs and we ended up getting a couple of puppies from him off the rowdy he crossed the rowdy off the smoky females and they produced dogs that were louder heavier heavier chopped loud carrying voices that we went to the fall roundup one day and we heard a young dog probably six months old at the other end of the place he was just drowning 300 dogs out we got back over there to see what it was and it was a puppy off a rowdy that was about six months old he was just drowning everybody out and uh we carried a couple of those puppies home and they they brought a whole new element to what we were trying to do not only did they not hurt the tree power but they added some voice there that just was unbelievable and uh boys around home they they hunted those dogs for 30 years and uh everybody you know they would kind of know when when we were getting ready to breed or something had come into heat and we had bred it and uh, whenever we had puppies available they never lasted more than a day actually they still don't but <laughs> you know i was just young at the time and and um do you know dave sellers from ohio i know the name but no i, I don't know okay he's he's my age and he probably knows more about blue dogs than I do, if you want to know the truth. And uh, he he says all the time that uh, the blackjack blue tick kennel is one of the best kept secrets in the coonhound world. Being from North Carolina, we just don't have the amount of hunters that coon hunt, especially now since there's no value to any of the pelts. You know, all those people that kept dogs back in the 70s and 80s they were trying to make a few dollars off of selling pelts, uh, but that that doesn't exist anymore here. So we lost probably seventy percent of our coon hunters, and uh, so that makes it kind of hard sometimes trying to get a good, well-bred puppy into the right hands. Because I always like to get two or three into somebody's hands that would promise me they would comp- competition hunt it even if I had to cut the price and or give it away, you know, I would, uh, I always thought that was important. And it gave me a measuring stick because especially with young boys, if, if the puppies, if the puppy took off and started doing real well, and particularly if it started winning a hunt or two, uh, you could kind of figure out that that was, that was the right kind of cross. And by the same token, if they had hunted it and it wasn't doing as well, you know, they would tell you about it. So uh, stuff like that helped me make the kennel I've got today what it is because I, I always paid attention to the hunter. I always made sure I put them out there to them. I sell a lot of dogs to people that aren't interested in competition hunting, and that's fine. Not everybody wants to do that. But everybody likes a tree dog. And I sold a puppy just the other day to a guy, came all the way from Tennessee. 
and uh he picked up a pair of them and uh he said i'm really looking forward to giving these guys a chance and i said well i think this is a proven cross i think you'll be happy with them he said yeah he said i i checked you out really well he said about the only thing that i found that was could be considered negative is that your dogs treat too <laughs> treat too hard <laughs> laughed i said i'll take that yeah, go, go, going from not from from not having dogs to tree very very much or very often to to having them tree too hard. Yeah, that's 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 okay there. Yeah, I take that one every day. But uh, I retired about ten years ago, and that uh, allowed me to expand what I'd been wanting to do my whole life. But you know, having to work and raise kids and all of that, you know, you have to set limitations. And now that I'm retired and my kids are grown and all I have to do is, uh, make sure my wife, uh, stays relatively happy. You know, the rest of it, I I'm on my own out there and I, I spend all day out there a lot of times. And, uh, it's given me a, a lot of enjoyment in retirement that I had not even considered, you know, I had other things that interested me, but being able to work at that kennel and, and design it and change it and fix it exactly the way I wanted to. And then I got lucky because I'm getting a little up in years now myself. I'll be 67 in September the 17th. And I've, I've found a couple of young, younger guys that uh, wanted to handle some, some stud dogs for me in the hunts. And we did real well. The last couple of years, we put uh, Grand Night Champion titles on four dogs. And uh, these dogs were born and bred here. So that always makes you feel better when you're, I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, we hunt what we breed. You know, it's not that I won't go out and pay for, for somebody else's bloodline. I do that sometimes if I think that it'll work and help me out somehow but you know we hunt what we breed and uh i wish a lot more of the guys that are raising dogs would do some of that i think our our dogs would continue to improve you know they're certainly a lot better than they were 40 years ago yeah i i i um i started with a black dog and you know kind of the story you were telling there about you know three or four years old before they would really do what they were supposed to do. That's kind of the, the same mentality that, you know, I was taught with, you know, is don't, don't be in a hurry. Don't be impatient and, you know, just, just stick with it and it, give it time and it'll work out. But, mm-hmm. um, and, and like I said, I, I, I had a, a blue, blue tick, uh, one before, and he was smoky river bread top and bottom, uh, you know, good looking dog. Unfortunately, uh, before I got him, he was allowed to to bark his mouth out some, and so he wasn't quite as quite as loud as you needed one to be, especially if you were going to try to competition hunt one. But right. I, I really like the I, I, the br- whole breeding thing. I'm not a breeder. I've done some breeding, but I'm not a breeder. And I like to look at pedigrees, and I like to think about you know, will this cross well with this, and that that whole breeding aspect of it is you know very intriguing to me and those older guys 
they figured it out because like you said, they, they had dogs that wouldn't tree at all dogs that would tree some, and then they figured out what they needed to do to get dogs to tree like they were supposed to. And I just exactly. always thought that was very interesting because somebody spent some time just like your mentor there going through pedigrees and looking at papers and figuring out what, what needs to be bred to what. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, uh, I wish there was some way that we could acknowledge those people. Uh, Sherman Butler, he put a lifetime in it. Uh, but again, certainly did. Uh, and they were just blue tick men through and through, but you know, for the most part, unless you happen to have been a member of the uh, BBCHA, which I have been for a long time, uh, you probably never seen the name Sherman Butler. Uh, he was in some of the earlier magazines. As I said, he died uh, pretty early on, 77, 78, something like that, I think. So a lot of these young boys now, they probably have never heard of any of the dogs I've been talking about for the last 10 minutes, you know, uh, and, uh, another thing that, uh, is challenging for me as a breeder now is I can pretty much breed to whatever I want to. If I see a really nice female that I think will help me, I, I can buy her, but a, a lot of these guys will, will young guys, I'm saying they, they want to know how many titles that dog's got. And I try to try to talk to them. It's not always about the titles. It's about the dogs that can produce winners. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we get a little bit sidetracked with the competition stuff. I like it. I like being in it. I like being a part of it. I've never personally had any problems. Although I've, from what I've been hearing on some of these, uh, things on Facebook, there's a lot of problems out there. <laughs> well, you but, know, I, I've got a podcast coming out in not this Thursday. My podcast releases every Thursday, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. And there's going right. to be a story in there that happened to a guy at Autumn Oaks. And while there are systems and procedures in place to question calls out in the field, that's what happened. He questioned a call. It got it went into the master of hounds. The call still wasn't corrected. He requested a panel, went before a panel, had, had evidence to go before the panel, and the call was overturned. I think Facebook, social media um, kind of has blowed this out of proportion with uh, people cheating. Um, a lot of that yeah. is they don't know the rules. They don't know how to That's apply right. the rules in the in the right way, and and I'm I'm not speaking ill against anybody. I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm fixing to get ready to go hunt my dog in the zones for the UKC World, and you know what I'm doing? I'm reading and brushing up on rules and trying to remember exactly. that. And you know that's what we exactly. all have to do to to make ourselves better. That's exactly right. And a lot of times, a lot of the problems that are caused during some of these hunts are because. Some of these guys just don't know the rules. They, they change periodically. They're adjusted. You know, they, uh, you gotta, you gotta get it out and look at it every year. 
Yeah, for sure. And just like at Autumn Oaks, they voted on on some new rules, you know, some new rule changes that's going to be taking place. And we're all going to have to, you know, get the book back out and brush up and learn what those are and adjust our, our hunting strategy to, to accommodate those and, and move on. You, ju- you just got to stay on top of it. It's kind of, you know, the way I look at these rules, it, there, there's different rules for different registries and they're, they're all kind of the same, but a little bit different. But it's also just like it goes back to this breeding. Those old men, they knew what it took to, I need to breed this dog with this dog to make what I want. Well, they were studying those pedigrees, those dogs. They were talking to people. It's no different than us getting prepared for a hunt. Whatever registry you're hunting for, you got to study the rules, know the rules, and know how to apply them to your situations. Exactly. Yep. Well, won't you uh, go ahead and and bring us up to today? I was looking through your through your Facebook page, and you got a little bit different looking dog there. Uh, I think her name is Sky um that i seen on your facebook page um there what yes what's she out of okay (laughs) (laughs) she's one of the ones that goes back to the original diamond jim cross well you know my my i got a good friend and and we become friends because oh you're talking about blue eyes is it sky or shy um let me look here again it is what color is the dog just about white with a blue eye yeah Shy. No, I, <laughs> no <laughs> that's not my dog <laughs> a good friend of mine here in north carolina uh he has had the junkyard dogs chris cornell uh is okay. his name and chris bred that she's a year old he bred that dog. He bred that litter of puppies that produced one dog that looked like her. All the rest of them looked normal. And he kept it. And about two months ago or three months ago, uh, he, I got to talking to him. And he said, you know, you ought to take this white dog and see if she'll suit you. He said, she's got some, a lot of spanky in her. And I've been a, uh, a follower of Spanky for a long time, just like a lot of the guys have. And she is loaded with it. And that's one reason why she, she was off colored is, uh, they kept going back to the Spanky dogs and going back to the Spanky dogs and the junkyard dogs are full of it. And, uh, they, they, they make good dogs too. You know, Chris is, he's been hunting those dogs for 20 years and they've, They've made good dogs and they've made dogs that would win. And I said, yeah, I said, I'll take her. I said, I like the spanky dogs. And, but she is, if you're a real blue tick man, she's kind of hard to look at. <laughs> well, I've got a good, good buddy. We become friends because of this podcast, Brett Stevens. And, and I'm sure he'll tell you, I, I'm the first to jump on the weird looking dog. So like to, to me, she's beautiful. I, I, I like the way she looks. I mean, like, um, you know, I, I, I've seen, and I, I think I was scrolling through your Facebook and seen some liver colored, uh, dogs and th- those, those things that come out different always in, intrigue me. I had a, I had a female here, a red tick English female had a litter of puppies. And when, when it was the guy that I bought her from had bred her prior to, to me getting her and the first puppy that was born when it was born, I picked the phone up and I called him and I said, 
I thought you bred this dog to a red tick English male. And he said, I did. Why? I said, cause I just had a Walker dog and <laughs> every dog after her was a red tick English, but she come right. out tricolor. And that's right. Yeah. And so those, I was scrolling through there and I seen that and I was like, man, I, that's a good, I, to me, that's a good looking dog, you know, but I'm not a diehard blue tick guy. I like blue, the blue color. I, I've got some blue English, a blue English dog here at the house. And, I like uh, I like that blue color, but I really like those oddball looking ones too. Yeah, she's about as odd as they get. <laughs> yeah, that's, have you seen that's my Have you seen my uh, website? No, I, I didn't see a website. I just I was on your Facebook page scrolling through. That's where I seen seen her, and then yeah, look, looks like there's a, a few pictures. A liver colored uh, dog on on a tree there, tree and two. That's right. That's a reef. Uh, he made night champion in about, I don't know, six hunts. Didn't take him long. Now that, that that's another thing that, uh, I think is helping everybody is instead of one, four hour hunt or three hour hunt, they've got, they, they hunt twice a night. Now, some of the clubs do. And so if you've got a really good dog and are in a position where you can make both hunts, uh, you can make a dog a night champion you know, in half the time it used to take. Yeah, for sure. We, we have, we have several clubs around here that, that hunt double headers, um, you know, UKC. And then of course we have quite a few PKC clubs around here that right. hunt, hunt right. double headers too. Yeah. On my website, I want you to look at it, uh, sometime tonight or when you get a chance is www.blackjackbluetickkennel.com. And, uh, I don't manage it, uh, pay somebody to manage it, but it's got a lot of our dogs from back the last 35, 40 years. So it gives you some chance to just look at some pictures. Yeah. I'll see if I can, I don't know if I can do it while we're on the phone, but I'll see if, see if I can get it pulled up here and take a look at it for sure. I, uh, right. I always enjoy looking at, at pictures of dogs. That's you know, that, that's what it, what it's about for me is I, I like seeing good dog work. I like seeing good looking dogs and I, I'm guilty of liking the odd looking dog for sure. And I, I like to see dogs that reproduce their likeness or their ability or better. Uh, that's really what you're striving for. You don't want to, you don't want to breed two dogs and end up with something that's not any better than the parents, you know, every time you make a cross, you're striving to become better than either one of the parents. And, uh, that's another thing I think to get, gets lost sometimes. A lot of times, uh, people breed them and hope for the best. And, uh, you know, if you, if you do your homework and you have a little bit of, of knowledge, not only about the bloodlines, but have a, a real understanding of what your dog is capable of doing. And a lot of people, he, he might tell you, yeah, my dog, a tree of coon, he's broke. Okay. He'll tree a coon. Uh, what else will he do? You know, is he trashy? Did it take him four years before he treated his first coon? Uh, does he have a good mouth? Is he mean? You know, there's a whole lot of things, a lot of, a lot of things to check off there besides just tree and a coon. Uh, people come up to the kennel. They say, how can you hunt all those dogs? 
I said, well, I said, first of all, I said, I've got two handlers helping me with the ones that are in competition. I said, second of all, the last thing I particularly want to do is go out and tree a coon. Uh, most of the time when I'm hunting, especially right here around the house, I'm carrying a young dog, six or seven months old. that's just started going and he's getting better every night, but he hadn't quite put it together that night that he puts it together and he gets up on that tree and he blows the top out of it. That's what I'm hunting for now. You know, I have seen so many coons and so many trees that part of it doesn't excite me anymore, but to see that young six or seven month old dog get better every night and put his feet up on the tree and blow the top out of it and you shine the light up there and the coons there, that's the time that I get excited. And the, a lot of these guys don't understand it. Why don't, why don't you want to treat a coon? Uh, it's not always about treating the coon. It's about watching your dogs progress and grow. And, you know, you've, you brought them into this world. It's time to see what, what you have done. You know, you're putting your, your own report card has got to be filled out as a breeder. Cause if you keep taking that guy and he's not getting any better, then you need to check on your report card. I missed this one. You know what I'm saying? And it's hard for some guys to do that. Are you tired of whipping, scolding, and shocking to make them get a loan? Is your buddy tired of helping you set your dog up for correction night after night? Do you really want your dog to be alone because you forced him to be? Or would you rather him be alone because he wants to be? Grand Knight Champion Small Town Loan Survivor is the product of over 25 years of strong natural-born independent traits. This bold trait has been passed down from generation to generation and is showing up in loaner offspring today. Loner is a direct son of Hall of Fame Grand Knight Champion Cabin Creek Rowdy and Grand Knight Champion Lonesome Dove Lori. Loner has a booming mouth that is talked about in every cast he has been in, including the 2021 World Hunt Finals. Loner is a no-reverse ball-mouth open trailer who ends it plussed up with a huge dying locate and steady chop. Loner loves getting split and is a stay-put gun-pressure tree dog. Loner's intelligence is also impressive. He knows over 12 voice and hand signal commands. Loner has a character that loves like Jesus, but he doesn't walk on water. If you're interested in breeding to Loner, contact Brett Stevens at Small Town English Kennels at 417-300-3777 or find him on Facebook. If you're interested in running a stud ad for your dog here on the Coonhound Collective podcast, reach out to us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Send us a message through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be glad to get with you to get you an ad built and get you pricing on all of our ads. Yes, sir. And, you know, for, for me, like I said, I'm, I'm not a breeder. I, bre- I bred a couple of litters, um, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a breeder, per se. But when I get even get a young dog here... Um, you know, at the house in my kennel, you know, I, before I ever take the dog hunting, I, I, I'm looking for brains. I have to have a dog that has some sense. 
um, to be exactly. around me. I, I know some people like them crazy and wild and stuff like that, but I, I know my temperament and I know me, and I, I can't handle a, a dog like that. I've got to have a dog that'll listen to me, that's got some sense, that that you know is pretty smart. And, and I'm, I'm looking for those things, and I'm challenging that young dog here at the house in the yard just to just to test those things and see if you know if this dog's going to pass mustard to even make it to the woods for me exactly you're absolutely right that first three or four months that they're alive uh that's where you figure out if they've got brains or not and uh and they don't all have them i mean even the well-bred ones you get some idiots in there sometimes that just nobody could do anything with and you know you any good breeder that I have ever known in my life, and I have known several of them, one of the first things they tell you is if you can't make yourself call and call hard, you have no business trying to be a breeder. And yeah, I know all these animal rights people are going to say, oh, my God, let's go string that guy up. You know, I'm sorry, but you don't need to be reproducing dogs that, don't satisfy the standard, don't satisfy the breed, they don't satisfy you, why are they going to satisfy anybody else? You know, those are the ones that just as soon as you can recognize that they need to be called, go ahead and call them. And you can take them to the vet and have them put to sleep. You know, there's a, a number of ways to do it humanely. And so I want to make sure I always throw that in there. It's uh. It's one of the things that you can do as a responsible breeder to help the breed continue to get better. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays there, there's people wanting, you know, wanting dogs as pets, have the dog fixed where it can't be bred and, and give it to somebody. If nothing else, you know, if, if you can't call any other way. Um, and I, I got on your website and I'm fixing to completely derail a coon hunting podcast because i have seen mountain cur squirrel dogs on your website so I, i've got to know i just got a squirrel dog puppy here at the house my first squirrel uh -huh. dog ever never had one before i've always had hounds um, right talk to me about these squirrel dogs uh, and and how you how you got over in the squirrel dogs hey guys this is jason over at the coon hound collective podcast is your dog box starting to get war Maybe it's starting to get a little crack like mine is. Maybe you've just been thinking about it's time to upgrade to a, to a new box, but you've asked your buddies and you're just not real sure what direction to go in. Well, let me help you out here. Go check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication Custom Doll Boxes and Aluminum Products on Facebook. You can check out all their custom work they do there and their designs that they do. If you don't see something that you don't exactly like there, Reach out to Nathan at 540-810-5439, 540-810-5439, or send him a message through the Facebook page. I bet he can fix you up. Don't wait till fall to get that new dog box. Go ahead, get that dog box now. Get you uh, get you something looking good in the back of your truck that, that you can be proud of and that you can haul your dog around in comfort. Check my friends out at CZ Welding Fabrication. You won't go wrong. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Get yours today. CZ Welding and Fabrication. 
Well, as, as I told you, I'm uh, getting on up in age, and I don't know how many more years my wife's going to let me go out there at night and tra- trample through the swamp. So I've been, and she's still working. She's younger than I am, and she's still working. So I, th- I said, you know, I said, uh, a squirrel dog's kind of like a coon dog. They tree. And I was trying to talk myself into it. And, and for the last seven or eight years, I have been kind of plowing through the mountain cur registry, watching these guys that are making these dogs and making them, you know, they have the competition hunts for the, for the mountain curs, just like they do everything else. And uh, there's a guy not too far from me. We became real good friends. And uh, he kind of did it backwards from me. He had this, this mountain curs first, and then he got some blue dogs. Whereas I had the blue dogs all my life, and I decided that I wanted to do the, the mountain curs. And I, I got two grade mountain curs four or five years ago, and they were brothers, and they would tree every squirrel in the woods. Uh, they'd half kill each other every time you turned them out. I didn't like that. Uh, but that kind of happens with the mountain curs, from what I can tell myself, the ones I have seen, they tend to be a little bit grouchy, even with their own relatives. Uh, but I, I decided to raise some puppies off of them because I had two or three people that were interested in them. And I couldn't hardly give them away because they weren't registered. Okay, I learned a lesson here. You know, not, not only do you have to have a good mountain cur, but you need to have one registered if you're going to raise any puppies. So <clears throat> I sold those and decided, I, I said, all right, let's find out what, what, what we think is the best out there right now as far as what they're reproducing. And I decided on the 2020 Hummer dogs. Well, you just, even though they've been out for a number of years, you just can't pick up the phone and call somebody and buy one. There's just not that many of them out there. But I eventually got to the point where I found a nice, a really nice male dog directly out of 2020 Hummer, and he was a squirrel tree and machine. The boy had him that trained him, uh, wanted to competition hunt him, and he didn't have quite enough go to competition hunt. He would go about 600 yards and come back to you. That's just not enough for those guys that hunt the big time. And, uh, but it was perfect for me. And, uh, we went, I've got a place behind my house that has never been logged and nobody coon hunts it or squirrel hunts it. A couple of young boys deer hunt it, but it's about 600 acres of old timber. And I've keep corn out there, uh, where the coons and the squirrels can get to it, but the deer can't. A nearby year round. So I've got a lot of squirrels back there. And uh, I took that young male when I first got him and we hunted about an hour and a half and he made 60 trees. And I told a friend of mine about that and he said, well, he knew what that place was behind my house. He said, that's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. I said, yeah, I won't argue that. There's a lot of squirrels back there. I said, but he still had to find them and tree them. And I said, that's the, that was just astounding to me. And uh, 
uh, there's a boy in Ohio, Kemp Kennels, that we got a couple of well-bred females from. And uh, we had that coming along really nicely, I, I thought. And people were interested in them and had a couple of people come and breed to uh, the dog I had. And I had a guy from Virginia uh, come up here about the first of spring this year, this past year. And he bought every, every cur I had. And I didn't want to sell them. You know, sometimes as a owning a working kennel, you sometimes have to do things that you don't want to do, but when that happens, you can rest assured that I put a price on them that would have scared most people, but it didn't scare him. He, he pulled out the money and paid me and then talked junk to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking here at the, at the website and, and I know zero when it comes to squirrel dogs and pedigrees and stuff like that. I, I won mine in a raffle that they were having to raise money for a youth event and it's uh NKC registered. I don't even have his um, papers back yet. I got him with puppy papers and gotcha. he, he looks just like this little bit dog um, here on your website, blackjack 2020 mm -hmm. busters little bit. He is, he's that color and he's almost got a blue haze all over him. And supposedly he's registered as a feist, but supposedly his granddad was this Hummer 2020 dog and a barger feist female. Um, oh my. but that's all I know. Right. Right. Well, if he's got some 2020 Hummer in him, uh, and it's as close as his granddaddy, I'm pretty sure that whatever females they were breeding him to would at least tree squirrels. You're not going to waste the 2020 Hummer stud fee on something that won't tree a squirrel. So you might, you might have a, a, a diamond in the rough. Yeah. And like I said, it could be his great granddad. I don't know. I don't have the, the generation yeah. pedigree back, but right. supposedly that was the breeding in there. He's brental kind of a light brindle like that little bit dog there is actually i have a pair of them here i have a male and a female the female is supposed to go to my buddy that sponsors this podcast nathan kaufman with cz welding and custom doll boxes over in virginia but uh -huh. he's supposed to get her on the 23rd of this month but if she keeps hanging around here my wife has got her underneath her her arm pretty regular so i don't know that 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 i'm gonna have to end up buying that dog from from my buddy nathan there but but yeah they're they, they they're both brittle color um one's darker the female's darker and her name is actually little bit that's what we're calling her and right. um the the male dog is that lighter brittle color like that and he's kind of got some different color um not not a blue or a glass eye but it's a uh, I don't know. His eyes are just like a different pupil color. And then he's, when the sun hits him just right, he's kind of got this bluish gray haze over that brindle. It's, it's kind of cool looking. It's kind of hard to describe, but yeah, I, I was scrolling through here and I seen this and I thought, well, I am fixing to totally derail a coon hunting podcast. <laughs> and all I can say is tree talk of media with Ben sheets. He's partly to blame and Cody Moreland and, Chris Knight with the hunting dog public is the other part to blame. I've been listening to their podcast and they're great guys. I've talked to them all and, um, 
they kind of got me fired up about squirrel dogs. I always wanted a, a, a squirrel dog, one that maybe would tree squirrels in the day and coon at night or just squirrels. And but that's I, what that, uh, the 2020 Hummer dogs, that's what they uh, were bred for is the coon at night and squirrel in the day. And uh, a lot of them are semi-silent at night, but uh, when they get up on the tree, they tree like they're supposed to. So it's it's a good mix. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm excited about it. He he's a little bitty fella. He's like nine or ten weeks old. So he's oh, uh, yeah. he, he's a little fella. I I take him. I have a landscape company, and um, if if I'm going to be kind of in and out of the truck all day, he's with me every day, all day, uh, in the truck, really? going with me. So um, I mow some parks. I'm waiting for a squirrel to break out across one of them parks, and I'm gonna sick him on him. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, um, we, I can't believe it. Um, we have been at it right in an hour. My, my timer's at 59 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, well, I told you I was long winded. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That makes for a great podcast. Do you, do you got a, uh, a story, a hunting story you can share with us, uh, funny or serious, whether it be coon or squirrel hunting? Off the top of my head, I, I really don't, but I did want to mention one person that and I know I have, you know, when you're talking about a lifetime of coon hunting over 45 years, you know, there's probably a hundred people I should mention, but there's one guy I haven't mentioned yet that I want to make sure that I put a shout out to, and that's Greg Hagerman from West Virginia. I got a male dog from him uh, off of his uh, Jake dog. And we called him car. Well, his name was carbide. We, we let it stay. And that carbide dog was one of the nicest dogs I have ever seen, uh, whether I owned it or somebody else owned it. And he was one of these rare dogs that he reproduced better than he was. And, and he was phenomenal. He was just everything rolled up into one. You'll see him on one of those pictures there. Uh, his name is Carbide, and he and Solid Rock were about the same age. And for the last 10 years, that's uh, pretty much been the cornerstone of this, this kennel. And uh, when they were younger, I used to hunt them together. And uh, just about got both of them killed <laughs> on the highway one night. And I got to the point where they were just, I felt like they were worth too much to get them killed like that. So I backed off of hunting them and started hunting the puppies. And that turned out to be a good thing because I was able to show people early on while they were still young, uh, what kind of dogs they were reproducing. And, uh, each, each one of them had their own following. You know, we had a solid rock club and then we had a carbide club. And, uh, as I said, Greg Hagerman was responsible for breeding that dog and that you look at how Greg and his dad bred dogs all these years. It just makes a lot of sense. He had uh, a lot of the hammer dogs, Dave, Dave Dean's hammer in there. And, uh, uh, he's just another one of these breeders that you don't hear enough about. And, uh, just wanted to make sure I had a shout out to him and, uh, I guess I could leave it, leave you with it, with that. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I found him on here and yeah, he's a, he's a good looking, good looking hound for sure. And I'll leave a link in the show notes below to, to your website is blackjackbluetickkennel.com. Um, if anybody wants to go over and take a look at the, the hounds and the squirrel dogs, but I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you just scroll down, click on the show notes, um, there'll be a link in there to, to go straight to Mr. James's, uh, website there. And you can kind of go through and look at the, the hounds and, and I think even your, uh, contact info's on there. If anybody's interested in talking dogs with you or maybe looking for a, for a blue dog or, um, uh, do you got any more squirrel dogs or did, did the guy wipe you out? He wiped me out. Okay. Well, you ain't going to get any more squirrel dogs. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's don't let's put it that way. Okay. Let's, let's, let's just say I'm going to be even pickier the next time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I learn something every time I, got, I go through some dogs. Yeah. Well, I understand that. Well, Mr. James, if you ain't got anything else, I man, I, I appreciate you taking your time this afternoon to to be on the podcast with me. I, I think it was great and a lot of history there with some some blue dogs that I didn't really know a lot about. And um I think I think people get some information there that, that they didn't have previously. And I, I really appreciate you taking your time to be on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you calling me and uh if there's anything else I can do for you, you let me know. Okay, will do. Thank you again, and uh, have a good night. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Coonhound Collective Podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you don't mind, head over to Facebook and give us a like, and head over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's both at The Coonhound Collective. Also, if you would like to reach us here at The Coonhound Collective, you can reach us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Again, have a great day.